Hey folks, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Morrison, as you know, and you may be wondering, hey, what's up? Why is there no intro music? And uh, luckily for you, I will give you the answer. That answer is because our board op at WVNN has not arrived at the studio yet. There was some, our, we, have a, we have a board op that's part of the team here at the Valley Labor Report. Um, and, uh, but he is on vacation today. He's, he's on vacation, so we had a... Um, and so he coordinated with WVNN to get a support op from their staff, and there was some miscommunication apparently, and so he is not there yet, the board op from WVNN. So uh, we're just hanging out now, waiting for the board op from WVNN to show up to the studio so that we can go live on WVNN. Um, and we figured we would just we just go ahead and go live here and just just say hello. So, so hello, everybody, and explain what's going on, why the show's going to start late. Um, uh, I also wanted to go ahead and alert any Teamsters that are listening, um, uh, prepare to call in, because I, I have some stuff that, that we're going to talk about, about the Teamsters authorizing the strike. Um, so if y'all are... Um, so if we've got any Teamsters listening right now, I know that Jose and Will from California uh, tend to listen live. Uh, so if if y'all have time and you're able to call in, definitely do. I know that we've got one Teamster here in Huntsville that also listens, but I don't think he listens live. I think he listens to the podcast. Um, but yeah, so you know, if you are a Teamster listening, prepare to call in. Probably we'll be doing the Teamster segment around 10.10 or 10.15. So, uh, so prepare to call in at that time if you could and if you'd be interested because uh, we want to hear from Teamsters in the audience about, um, about the potential strike here in the next six weeks. Uh, also, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you've got anything else you want to talk about, feel free to call in as well uh, because we don't have any uh, guests lined up today. Uh, we did have a couple of guests that we were trying to get and uh, both of them fell through and yeah. we weren't able to get anybody yeah. uh, quick enough so but you know there's enough there's enough stuff to talk about between uh, between Adam and I and, and the news so, so right. it's gonna be good and yeah. and y'all can call in and talk to yeah, us yeah absolutely call in chat in uh, we'll definitely be looking at the chat today since there's no guests uh, you know we've been pretty guest heavy the last mm-hmm. couple weeks so yeah. uh, no big deal it just just so happened it didn't work out this week, but uh, that is just the nature of it. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some great guests later this month. We've had some mm-hmm. great guests already this summer, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some good conversations. So uh, if you've missed any recent episodes lately, definitely check out the back catalog. We've had some great interviews. Um, we've talked to a presidential candidate in Marianne Williamson. We mm-hmm. talked to the great Adolph Reed Jr., yeah, really enjoyed I, that. And I also wanted to say, you know, we've talked about this, but I think it is incredibly cool that we have cultivated an audience that is more interested in listening to Adolph Reed than a presidential candidate. <laughs> uh, because I think that we've actually gotten, let me look to make sure, but I think we've gotten more people have watched our Adolph Reed interview than did the Marianne Williamson interview, which is very cool, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> There's different types of conversations, obviously, but uh, I enjoyed both of them. And I uh, also enjoyed speaking with David Van Dusen, uh, Vermont Labor Federation mm-hmm. president, uh, real militant brother up there doing some good work. And so 
That was cool. I, I've been, you know, learning a lot already uh, this summer from some of these interviews, and mm-hmm. we've got some good folks planned. Um, sorry, we couldn't do shop talk this week. This is just Joe's a, gonna get on you. This yeah, week. no, it's Joe's gonna, gonna, gonna write me up. Progressive discipline. We've had what two verbal warnings. We've so had, I think we're up to yeah. We've we've had a, a verbal warning now. We might so. be getting something in writing <laughs> soon. Uh, yeah, it just so happened shop talk could not work out. Uh, I was out of town this weekend or this week. It was my ten year anniversary. Uh, so shout out to Maggie, the love of my life, who uh, has been married to me for ten years. That's definitely an accomplishment. So um, anyway, we were out of town. We couldn't get the. Uh, live streaming setup uh from the hotel it's just a lot more complicated than i envisioned mm-hmm. and of course we are not radio professionals and we don't necessarily have uh, a ton of equipment so it just didn't work out uh, i was able to record an interview though uh which is really cool i talked to a uh, longtime organizer bill barry uh he's a retired organizer he's he's been organizing for three or four decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we, union was he associated with? Uh, he was with UE. He was with a couple other uh, unions as well. Um, and he spent quite a bit of time uh, at a, a college labor center uh-huh. as a as a teacher, um, teaching union folks. And very similar to what we've described with the uh, Center for Labor Education and Research in Alabama. Uh Similar setup up in Maryland uh, that he was working with, and so training future officers and stewards. and mm-hmm. uh, So, yeah, he had a lot to talk about. Uh, he's been doing a lot of writing about closing up the open shop and doing internal mm-hmm. organizing campaigns. And so that was the focus of the conversation. Um, more than likely, that will be this week's shop talk. Uh, this week is also a weird schedule for us. Uh, Jacob and I will be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm. for the Iron Workers Southeastern Apprenticeship Competition. Uh, so really looking forward to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Enjoy getting to know uh, Iron Workers Brothers. They, uh, they're always a good time, and I think, um, I think it's going to be a cool opportunity just to, to learn more about what they do and see their competition um, and to be able to, you know, talk to members on the ground Mm -hmm. i think that'll be really really interesting and i think folks will enjoy hearing from that uh so next week we'll be able to you know talk to y'all about the apprenticeship competition in chattanooga and what the iron workers are up to so that should be good um Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i'm really looking forward to that for sure um and then we're going to um and then we're going to in july be at the alabama state building trades conference down in orange beach so that's going to be a lot of fun yeah yeah so all the trade unions in alabama will be down there uh it's a big deal and Mm -hmm. uh we'll actually get half an hour to speak to to the whole convention yeah yeah yeah. so really looking forward to that and and we hope that that can spread the word about the valley labor report and the work we're doing to try to lift up alabama's labor movement we should probably go ahead and start prepping for that speech (laughs) i have have. have. yeah yeah i feel pretty good about it um yeah I, i feel good about it and you know just while we're talking about kind of internal updates um one thing that we've been talking about is doing a live show uh, so we yeah, have a meeting. Cool. We have a meeting with a venue on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking forward to that to find out if maybe that's a good fit for us. Uh, we are interested in doing a live show in the fall in Huntsville, and if that goes well, possibly expanding to uh, 
across the South. Yep. Maybe go on tour a little bit. Go on tour. There we go. Yeah. Maybe so. we can uh, borrow Lee's van. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we got a, a couple of questions here in the chat um, from Infinite Content. Uh, should we boycott Amazon in solidarity with the uh, Teamsters that went on strike out west? And for those of you that don't know, there was a um, an Amazon delivery contractor. You know, so all those Amazon uh, vehicles that you see around. They're typically not quote unquote owned by Amazon. They're owned by these various contractors that Amazon has contracts with to do this kind of work. And uh, and so one of those contractors, their employees unionized, they were voluntarily recognized. And now I think they have a collective bargaining agreement with that. I don't know. I can't remember. But they have unionized and they have been um, uh, they have been voluntarily recognized by the the company, and they went on strike last week over um, it was an unfair labor practice strike specifically regarding safety. Uh, so the question is, uh, should we boycott Amazon in solidarity? Um, I don't know that they've asked for that. Uh, yeah, I would. Yeah. My first thoughts on boycotts is to always consult with you know the union mm-hmm. involved and the workers involved and whether or not that's something that they're asking for. I would say, in particular, since we don't live in that area, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, of course, it's also tough when you're talking about a behemoth corporation mm-hmm. like Amazon, right? Um, which I personally try not to shop at if I can help it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do always go to, and this this free shout out for Red Emma's, but I, I always go to first Red Emma's if I want to get a book um, because they're worker-owned in Baltimore, and then if they don't have anything, I go to Powell's Books, uh, which is in, like, Washington, uh, because they're unionized, and if they if you use the union's affiliate link, which this is kind of crazy, if you use the union's affiliate link, seven point five percent of your purchase goes directly to their strike fund, which is I don't know how they got the company to agree to that. That's really cool. But uh, yeah, so check check that out if you're looking for a book. Uh, go to either Red Emma's or Powell's, and if you want to use their affiliate link, you can find the it's like the ilwu local five so you go to their twitter page and you can find their website or their link tree or something and they've got their affiliate link there so so yeah should 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 we boycott um that the union hasn't called for a boycott to my knowledge uh so it's certainly not a and especially since it's only one location it's certainly not a a situation where um you know where you should really feel bad for for shopping at Amazon at this point in, any more than you should at any other time. <laughs> um, so you know if you feel so inclined, you could boycott. Um, but, yeah. You know. Otherwise, yeah. I, and you know. but you know I think there is a broader conversation to have at some point about boycotts and the extent to which they can still be effective mm. uh, and the extent to which labor can actually mobilize boycotts mm-hmm. uh, because. You know, if we were in a situation where we were really trying to boycott Amazon, my question would be, who's the we Mm. and how big is that we and and how effective could that be? And so that's something we've got to think about, Uh, and especially when it comes to the the mega corporations. I think more targeted boycotts are easier to pull off, obviously. Um, 
you know, that are more local in nature or like hyper specific in terms of an industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think a boycott is a tried and true tactic, you know, from the past. And it's not something we should uh, should overlook in today's environment. And uh, I did see from Infinite Content about the dock worker strike out west. And so I I followed that a little bit. The last update I got this week uh, was that it looked like there was a tentative agreement uh, between uh, the the union and the, the dock owners. So uh, I'm not sure where that stands. I think uh, there will have to be approval from the rank and file membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that we're kind of at that stage where the TA is going to be presented to the membership. Uh, but yeah, that's that's interesting because they've been out of contract, is my understanding, for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden there was some slowdowns, some sick outs. And, yeah, it, but I, I have heard from some dock workers that um, a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the allegations of slowdowns from the companies are really kind of BS um, because it, at least this one dock worker that called into the majority report, he said that what's actually been happening is that rather than scheduling the typical like 24 dock workers, uh, they've only been scheduling like eight to 10. Um, so, so that's a management slowdown. Yeah. Right. You know, really, um, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. Uh, so our board op is in the studio. We've got the clean feed link. So <clears throat> Adam, let's see if we can't get on the radio. All right. Give me, yeah. Give me just a minute to pull up that, uh, that email and, and get the clean feed feed going. Yeah, let, and let's go to the standby music. Sure. All right, okay. so y'all, we're going to go on standby for just a moment and we'll get right us back. on the FM radio. See you soon. I'm all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. And not only the Tennessee Valley, but also hello to every state in the country, to Tanzania and the Czech Republic. I was checking out our podcast analytics yesterday and it is crazy some of the countries that people are checking us out in but we are broadcasting live online and on the radio now from the heart of the tennessee valley the spice radio studio in huntsville alabama today the teamsters have authorized a strike bigly there are some uh, cops across the country behaving really badly. Uh, the Republicans are behaving like comic book villains. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number. And the line will be open in overtime. 
We're going to be taking calls in overtime, uh, but we're having some issues right now getting our OBS feed, everything besides the mics, to the radio. So we're only, and, and so that, that means we're not going to be able to play ads or anything on the radio, unfortunately. So we're just going to go th straight through this whole hour that we are on the radio. And then, um, and and then we'll take calls in overtime. Uh, but get the, you can go ahead and get the phone number ready, and you can go ahead and send us a text message to the same phone number, and we can respond directly on the air. And the phone number is eight four four eight nine nine TVLR. That is eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week, and we might respond on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything on. Online, particularly at our website, tvlr.fm. You're going to want to bookmark that page and sign up for our newsletter. Also, you can find us on YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, wherever you get your podcasts, all at the Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air, and our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, make a one-time donation, or buy some of our merch, you can do that at our website. You can donate at tvlr.fm slash donate, and go to our store at tvlr.fm slash store. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, then think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us for more details on that. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program today belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you are on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. And again, our apologies for this morning, folks. We've had uh, just multiple issues come up from the technical to otherwise, so uh, appreciate everyone's patience. And uh, hopefully for those of you listening a few days later on the podcast... You won't notice a thing. There you go. There you go. The beauty of um, post-production editing. So let's start off with this. Um, this will just be a quick story, Adam. You know that uh, Obama has made a new documentary. He is using his uh, post-presidency to attempt to become a Hollywood star. And the... Uh, the 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 thread of the documentary is ostensibly about analyzing working people like just just taking a look at what working people are doing all day hmm. um and uh if you are a regular listener to the program you know that maximilian alvarez had a, has a podcast and has had a podcast for the better part of a decade called working people where he does exactly that um where he just talks to working people every week about their lives, their struggles, their dreams, their hopes. It's really great, and he does it better than Obama, is my opinion. But uh, Obama has been, you know, making some media rounds, uh, um, promoting his podcast, or promoting his, his documentary. And so last week, he did a podcast with LinkedIn. Apparently, they have a podcast, LinkedIn. Um, and they have an editor-in-chief... <laughs> LinkedIn does. I don't know what is going on over there, but uh, Obama did a podcast with LinkedIn uh, talking with their editor-in-chief, 
And over the course of that um, of that interview, the LinkedIn editor in chief asked Obama what he thought the best career advice for young people is. So you know, um, Adam, you've kind of been between jobs. You've kind of been, you know. Uh, uh, getting you know an odd job here, an odd job there, doing this and that for a little while. Um, I know that we know other people like that who have had difficulty getting into you know a stable job. Uh, so you know I think it would be valuable for working folks to have some uh, cheat code. You know if the president of the United States has a cheat code for us, that would be definitely valuable. Do you have any idea what uh, that advice might be? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, this is the number one advice, remember, that Obama has. So that, number I mean, one number advice. one, number one yeah. advice. Uh, wow. I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, he made it to the presidency of the United States. So one would imagine he could have some some good career advice. Yeah, he's uh, probably got some gems. Yeah, I'm curious. What what's the cheat code? What's the uh, number one yeah, well, career so, advice he has? Yeah. So here's what he said. And I quote. <clears throat> I think young, the best thing for young people would be to learn how to just get stuff done. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you put it that way. It, Adam, had you ever thought, I mean, apparently you had never thought about that before. Right. Yeah. And neither have I. I know, yeah. That's why <laughs> That's why we're floundering. You know, what if <laughs> all that stuff, it got done? Yeah, I mean, what if? <laughs> what if all the stuff just got done and we just learned how to get the stuff done? Wow. Uh, thanks, Obama. Yeah, you know, I just never thought of it that way. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it takes a president right. to tell you that stuff yeah. has to get done. Stuff has to get done. And if you do it, then you are better positioned for a career. So, uh, so yeah, you know, I think that really the career issues of young people are solved at this point. Uh, I really don't even know now because of this advice that there's much of a use in, in our radio program, right? I mean, our, you know, our kind of shtick is like, oh, we're, we're wanting to help make workers help make their lives better. But, you know, I mean, with this advice coming from, from Obama, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Like. Of course, there's the power of collective organization to improve your life mm -hmm. and the lives of your coworkers, uh, but you could just go get some stuff done. Right. Uh, so. And <laughs> who needs that, right? Who needs due process protections on the job, right? Because when you, you can just get, get stuff if done, if you're just getting stuff done, uh, surely the boss will recognize that and, right. and would never, uh, you know, not notice your efforts to get stuff done. Yeah. Um, surely that would never happen. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Uh, surely no one would ever take credit for you getting stuff done. That could, I mean, that's not going to happen, right? Right. Uh, I mean, Obama would have mentioned that. He would have, surely. If that was a possibility. Right. Surely, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I think, Adam, let's cue up the outro music and uh, we'll refund our advertisers for the remainder of the year and we can just go home. Yeah. Yeah. Why try? Why try? <laughs> why try to make society better? Why respond to global trends like outsourcing mm -hmm, uh, and austerity mm -hmm. and privatization? Yeah. Uh, you know, all those things are, are just fluff. Yeah. Because if you're just getting stuff done, uh, none of that will matter. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not as if you're living in a society or anything yeah right right uh some folks in the chat uh jacob says not me um 
Obama, how can we corporatize this labor movement? Uh, probably another question that he asks himself. Uh, right. Pittsburgh Dude 87 says Obama probably would say the best career advice is to not go on strike, like he told the basketball players, uh, which is another interesting. Yeah, re- that, that's a that's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, um, he yeah. also said, Pittsburgh dude said, learn how to get stuff done, like bailing out the big banks and kicking working families out of their homes. And drone bombing citizens. And drone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bombing uh, American citizens. Yeah. Uh, that's uh-huh. something he knows how to get done. Um, Lenny says, sounds like hope or change. In reality, it's make friends in high places and be willing to screw folks beneath you. And that's really mm. kind of the... I think that that's probably better career advice than learning yeah. how to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah, which reminds me of that 96, 1996 Adolf Reed article about uh-huh. Obama in the Village Voice that we mentioned in, in the Adolf Reed interview, uh, which, you know, again, I'll plug that article if, if you're not familiar with it, uh, because the type of careerist uh, person that Obama is, like Adolf had him pe- pegged immediately. Um, and I think the commenters are, are right on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's exactly... He, he's been able to make friends in high places. He was able to accommodate power mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and be useful to power and uh, propelled him to a successful career. Yeah, uh, He got to be president, and now he gets to be a, a Netflix media mogul yeah. um, and live the rest of his life in comfort and luxury and uh you know face no consequences for for any of his actions and yeah it's you know it's who has been going and promoting this show uh on netflix trying to drive traffic to netflix during a writer's strike during a writer's mm. strike of and course I don't netflix know... is a huge proponent mm-hmm. of charter schools uh yeah. so... and some people have some people have have um characterized that as crossing the picket line and i'm not quite sure that it's exactly the same but certainly if obama it uh, you know obama has because i have seen like some statements from the wga saying that as long as you're not like if you're a writer and you're promoting your product um that is okay as long as you're not doing it in conjunction with netflix in conjunction with management and so i'm not exactly i don't think the wga would necessarily characterize it as crossing the picket line maybe they would i don't know exactly all the intricacies there uh but certainly obama is in a radically different position than any of these other writers where if he were to say, you know, actually this documentary that is about the lives of working people that's on Netflix, I would prefer people not watch it until this writer strike is resolved. Even if that's not explicitly the ask that the WGA is making, uh, the power that he, because Netflix isn't going to cut their contract. It's the ask I'm making. Make that, make that decision. You Barack yeah. Obama have the power to do that. Uh, and Netflix isn't going to cut his contract like right. they would with any other writer, right? right? I mean, if they've got a contract with a former president of the United States, they're not going to cut that, right? So he has... And so what if they do? Right. You're the former You're, president right. of the United States. Right, you can just go States. to Hulu. <laughs> right, I mean, uh, there's very few people on planet Earth who face less retaliation mm-hmm. than Barack Obama. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, I, I would love to see him use his platform and his wealth and, and celebrity and fortune to uh, support working people. But, you know, yeah. his career is quite the opposite. Uh, and it's a shame because there were so many people, uh, especially my age, whose first election was in 2008, who really believed that uh, there was something different coming. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was pretty widespread. Yeah. I'm old enough that... 
I remember 2008 election. That was my first presidential election. And mm. there were a lot of people who, who genuinely thought hope and change was, mm-hmm. was coming. Uh, and so I think the widespread disappointment of the Obama administration has only contributed to disengagement from working class, you know, for working class people, a, a sense of disengagement and, and mm-hmm. uh, cynicism and despair. And I would also say um, I think it contributes to the Democratic Party's problems uh, electorally and right. um you know, but really, all those people who lost their homes and who are struggling under the um, thumb of corporate America—you know—what they really need to do is uh, just get stuff done. And right? Yeah, just get some stuff done and be happy. Right. Uh, be happy with diversity in high places. Right. Uh, because you know, if your corporate overlords are also gay, sometimes that is really—that's the thing. Right. That you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, never mind that you have overlords as long as they, you know, are diverse. Uh, it's yeah, it's a disgusting approach to politics. And that's something that uh, really I've experienced the entire time I've been politically active, which mm-hmm. is, you know, any critique of Obama from the left is met with uh, shallow accusations mm-hmm. of racism or white supremacy. And, um, you know, that's just ridiculous. Right. Uh, and then you do have people who who you know hated Obama from the get go because he was black. Right. And and How, we I mean, all know among those, those is like uh, Hillary Clinton. Wasn't she the one that kind of started the like? Didn't she, it was a very vicious she, campaign in yeah. two thousand eight. It was a vicious but, primary campaign. And was some she of the, the stuff one that, that kind of started the birtherism stuff? I, I mean, I think her campaign has certainly at least contributed to that. Yeah. Uh, contributed to it getting a toehold um and so yeah i don't want to dismiss but now that. we're yeah but now you know now we're being sexist because we have criticized hillary clinton right yeah well you know and the thing is um it, it's just a, it's a it was a massive disappointment because there was a mandate for change in 2008 it didn't happen it was more corporate neoliberalism but with a more diverse face and um, that has not produced results for the working class in the United States. And as a result, we've seen, um, unfortunately, some workers have turned to far-right extremist politics in the form of Donald Trump and and those type of characters. And then you have a lot of workers who are just disengaged from the process altogether Mm -hmm. uh, and, and completely disenchanted with politics, which is understandable given the fact that, you know, for the last 50 years, essentially, Democrats have mostly betrayed the working class and Republicans have been pretty uh, adamant about attacking the working class straight up Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, trying to buy off sections of the working class with cultural, uh, you know, cultural battles. And so it's, you know, I don't know. I just get so frustrated by Barack Obama and... So seeing him, uh, you know, making this turn as a media mogul, that's just a little gross, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I think folks who don't take a, a real reckoning with the Obama administration and the Obama legacy are really missing the boat. And, and they are not understanding why we got Trump or why we're right. facing the issues that we're facing today. And, um, you know, if you 
you don't want to be honest about that, you're never going to be honest about what we're experiencing now or in the future. Yep. IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. 
I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior's Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior's Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior's Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior's Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior's Law. The name with proven results. about something else now um you know when i when i talk about the police um a lot of people in my life will tell me that i'm just i'm just too hard yeah yeah i've heard that um heard that too that uh you know i mean the the cliche is you know like it's only a couple bad apples you know the most of them are good blah 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 blah, blah. and um and, but it you know it, it comes in all, all sorts of different different styles and 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 sayings and all this but you know the 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 basic thing is that you know okay yeah sure there's a couple bad apples but really like 99.9 percent of cops are not only great people individually but they're actually like they're exemplar executors of the law never misuse their power they're all this you know it's all really great stuff so uh there have been three stories that have been in the news just in the last week just in the last week now, all of this stuff did not happen in the last week, but these have been in the news because of, um, because of like, certain updates in these stories or, uh, you know, milestones. And, uh, but they've all been in the news this week. And so let's, let's go through them. Because these stories are not just about, like, this one cop killed a person uh, illegally or this one cop did this one bad thing and then he was punished for it. No, these are all, all of these stories are institutional police stories and and so i want to bring them to you just to kind of you know because i think the truth is important and i think that understanding reality is important and uh you know that if we you know like you were talking about with obama like if we're not able to reckon with the obama years we're not going to be able to move forward as a movement of people that want better for other working people right and so if we do not accurately understand the institution of the police we are not going to be able to uh uh to make it work for <laughs> for working people or to have a different institution that that is that is better for working people and so let, let's take a look at these stories first one the entire west virginia state police department is under investigation for sexual assault and other associated crimes. The entire department, now this is not every county sheriff, right, but the state police department in West Virginia, the whole department is under investigation. Uh, from, the moon uh, from the Mountain State Spotlight, last year an anonymous letter was sent to the office of Governor Jim Justice alleging over a dozen incidents of misconduct within the state police. It detailed drunken fights, office affairs, misspent funds, overtime theft, sexual assaults, and how a trooper had installed a hidden camera in the women's locker room at the state police training academy. The governor confirmed several acts of misconducts among the troopers. State police superintendent Jan Cahill has resigned under pressure from the governor. And state police have arrested a trooper on domestic violence charges. And the, the trooper that they arrested is like the whistleblower. 
And so he is saying that his that this arrest is retaliation for speaking out. And now, you know, both could actually be true, right? He could actually be a domestic abuser, but they wouldn't have arrested him if he hadn't spoken out. Um, and that would comport with what we know about police. Just Google police 40% and you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, um, but maybe he's not a domestic abuser and it is really just totally chalked up or, or trumped up and, and it is totally retaliation. But both could be true. He could also be an abuser and he could be a whistleblower and they wouldn't have arrested him uh, if he hadn't been a whistleblower. Um, so the Department of Homeland Security is one of the parties that's investigating the state police. Attorney Teresa Torreseva is filing civil suit against the department for charges related to these allegations on behalf of 42 women, including 10 minors. Amazingly, in the midst of the entire in in the in the midst of the entire department, the entire department. <laughs> Being under investigation for these myriad crimes that span the entire organization, Governor Justice repeated what I just talked to you about earlier. Quote from Governor Justice, We don't need to turn our back on the whole because the bad actors are the few. How can, I mean, how can you say this? Your entire department <laughs> is under investigation. Like, this is the leadership of the thing. From top to bottom, they're covering this stuff up under investigation for covering this stuff up. And the Homeland Security investigators are saying this too, like, oh, you know, we just want to get rid of the bad actors. This is not all that West Virginia cops have uh, been, uh, you know, the, the, not all of the notable episodes of misconduct. Here again from the Mountain State Spotlight, one of the most notable cases of misconduct was the work of former forensic technician Fred Zane, who is estimated to have falsified evidence in 182 cases during the 80s and 90s. 182 cases. Now, this is one person... But if you believe that he individually was able to falsify evidence in 182 cases without widespread cooperation, then I have some uh, beachfront, uh, oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. Right? That's the saying. Because obvious, uh, right? And the thing is that he obviously had support. He was set to be retried on fraud charges related to testimony he gave in a criminal trial when he died from cancer in 2002. In 1999, we're still in West Virginia, state trooper Gary Messenger II was sentenced to seven years in prison for beating a McDowell County man who had complained about a party where state troopers were firing their guns at an American Legion Hall in Welch. Justice also confirmed in a press conference last week that the FBI is investigating allegations that a state trooper raped a woman in December 2021. So that's all just in West Virginia, but let's head outside of the South for a moment. In Boston, last week, a lawsuit was filed against several people alleging that a cop and former police union president, which that's important to understand because, you know, when we're talking about whether or not it's bad apples, we have to recognize that these people are elected in many instances by the majority, right? It's definitionally not the few if a majority is supporting these people. He was elected president of his police union. Okay. 
Last week, a lawsuit was filed against several people alleging that a cop and former police union president was allowed to stay on the force despite widespread knowledge of his sexual abuse of children. From the Boston Globe. The lawsuit names the city of Boston, the Boston police, the police union, the State Department of Children and Families as, de as dependents, as well as the cop's wife and commanders in the police department and the police union, including former commissioner Paul Evans and former union head Thomas Nee. The plaintiffs allege that the state's child wel welfare agency investigated him for sexual abuse in the early 1990s. We're talking like 30 years ago before he became a police officer, but failed to take steps to prevent him from having any contact with children. The Department of Children and Families investigated him again in 1995 after he had been on the force for a year and concluded that the evidence supported the allegation that Rose sexually abused a boy, but still failed to take steps to keep him from children according to the lawsuit filed at, US, at the U.S. District Court in Boston. The Department of Children and Families agreed to let a judge vacate a restraining order against Rose in 1996 that was meant to keep him away from four children, including the boy who reported being abused, according to the complaint. The lawsuit also points to what victims described as failures by the city of Boston and its police department in their handling of molestation allegations leveled at Rose. After a, Rose is the cop, that's his last name. After a police internal investigation determined the abuse allegations credible, an internal police investigation said, yeah, these allegations of abuse against children are credible. And the city's Office of Labor Relations later upheld the findings. So we've got two institutions within the city of Boston saying, yeah, yeah this guy, he probably molested children. This cop. According to the complaint, the police, the Boston police who investigated Rose in November 1995 were told by Frances Rose, his wife, that her husband had been investigated by the Department of Children and Families for abusing a child three or four years prior, the filing said. The Department of Children and Families launched a separate investigation into Rose in 1995 and concluded that Rose had abused a 12-year-old and referred the case to the Suffolk District Attorney's Office. The Boston Police's Internal Affairs Division quote, sustained the allegations against Rose in June 1996, but officials, including then-Commissioner Evans, did not move to fire Rose, the complaint said. I mean, these are, we're up to like half a dozen organizations saying like, yeah, you know what, this guy is probably a serial abuser of children. This lawsuit follows a Globe investigation uh, pu uh, published in April 2021 that found Boston police allowed Rose to remain on the force for two decades after an internal investigation concluded that he probably sexually abused a child. The Globe reporting also showed that the state welfare, uh, child welfare agency's investigators believed in 1995 that there was evidence that Rose molested a child. The lawsuit Thursday was the first assertion that the DCF knew about sex abuse allegations before the cop became an officer. Boston would not say whether the department was similarly aware of the allegations. In April 2022, Rose was sentenced to more than a, de more than a decade in state prison after he pleaded guilty to nearly two dozen charges in connection with abusing six children for decades, 
For most of the time the abuse occurred, Rose was a police officer. He joined the department in 1994, and he retired in 2018. 2018. He was also president of the police of the Boston Police Patrolmen's Association from 2014 to 2018. Decades, this guy was allowed. I mean, not only right, not only just being allowed. You know, being allowed to abuse children is, is bad enough. Like if you're just a random citizen. You know, you, nobody should be, but to allow somebody, multiple agencies throughout the government, allowing this guy who has the capacity to molest children, continuing to give him a license to kill. Repulsive. But it's only a couple bad apples. Uh, let's go a little over to the east, where in Staten Island, a cop alleges that he was retaliated against, both by his union and his department, for refusing to participate in organized crime. Something that friend of the show, Jake Grumbach, on Twitter was quick to point out, teacher unions don't do, right? Teacher unions <laughs> do not retaliate against their members for refusing to participate in organized crime. Okay, that's just not something that happens within teacher unions or, I mean, really basically any other labor organization. From Staten Island Live, the city's police unions issue courtesy cards to members who then circulate them among family and friends. They are purportedly used as a way to avoid traffic infractions like speeding, not wearing a seatbelt, or in some cases, even blowing past a stoplight. Not officially recognized by the NYPD, the cards have long been viewed as a perk of the job. A civil complaint filed last week in Manhattan Federal Court by Officer Matthew Bianchi, which names the City of New York and former... 123rd Precinct Commanding Officer Andriy Smirnov as defendants. He claims his superiors retaliated against him for his stance against the corrupt practice. At one point, the suit alleges, Bianchi was warned by an official within the Police Benevolent Association, that's their union, that he would not be protected by his union if he wrote tickets to people displaying a card and that if he continued to do so, he would be reassigned. Things came to a head last summer when the plaintiff issued a citation to a friend of the NYPD's highest-ranking uniformed officer, Chief of Department Jeffrey Madri, according to the complaint. Three days after this officer issued a citation to a friend of the NYPD's highest-ranking uniformed officer, three days later, this officer was moved from the traffic unit to night patrol, which I think we can recognize as like a less desirable duty. Madri, meanwhile, is in the midst of a department trial surrounding claims he improperly avoided the arrest of a former officer. <laughs> so this guy, this guy who the cop issued a citation to one of his friends, Madri, his friend was issued a citation by this officer who filed this complaint. Madri is in the midst of a police investigation about claims that he improperly avoided, avoided the arrest of a former officer. But it's only, it's only a couple bad apples. It's only a few bad apples. 
So, you know, I mean, look, this is, people need to understand this. That, uh, that this is real and, and this is, this is you know, what the, what, the, what the cops do. And the West Virginia IWW w- was quick to point out in the, um, while commenting on the story around the West Virginia police, uh, that, you know, the West Virginia State Police was formed in the early 1900s specifically to fight against the coal miners unions, right? Uh, so, you know... The they're not straying too far from their roots, right? Uh, pretty crazy stuff. It is, yeah. It's just is is disturbing, and I mean, you know, there's just such a disparity in power uh, when it comes to police in this country. Yeah, yeah. It's bonkers. It's really bonkers. Um, so we got a we got a comment on Facebook uh, from Mel asking why we haven't ha- been having uh, last week in Southern Labor lately, and the reason for that is that Jonah uh, we we got the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter who gets the bird, um, and he has stopped doing that because he is now on staff with the UAW. Uh, congratulations to Jonah. We appreciate you know we're we're really excited for him, and it's really cool that the UAW has him on staff. Uh, he's the comms officer now, I think. So uh, he's discontinued the newsletter, but we have been in touch with him um, to to see about internally reproducing his work, basically, within our project. Right. Um, and so we are going to be trying to have a conversation with him over the next month or so about, like, kind of the ways that he constructed his newsletter and about um, and, and seeing ways that we can replicate what he was doing. Right. And, and then adding our own kind of our own kind of uh, stuff to it. So uh, yeah, yeah. we are, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're working hopeful that, that we're going to be bringing this back here soon, but, uh, yeah, but because that's, that's why we haven't been doing it. Yeah. That's a good question. And I think it's important information. It's something we definitely want to restart. Um, and, you know, Jacob and I do check the NLRB website uh, pretty regular to see what's going on, but uh, we're hoping to consult with Jonah, get some systemic practices on on how he was doing this and what other sources of information beyond just the case search on NLRB mm-hmm. that he used. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just, you know, I saw that comment. I happen to jump on and there's some interesting things that have been filed just in the last week or so. Huh. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we can talk about that later. But, um, yeah. yeah, good question. Good question. Uh, $5 super chat from infinite content. Enjoying the cynicism of the show today. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate the $5. A reminder to all cops use force against labor actions to serve the interests of themselves and capital and cops use force against labor actions. Here's a local bit of trivia. The, uh, Huntsville SWAT team, Huntsville, Alabama SWAT team was created in 1996 as a reaction to a tire maker strike in the city. You're right. The United Rubber Workers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, but cops are, uh, you know, they're really important. Right. Well, and here's the thing. <laughs> um, I personally, as a union member, do not believe that cops should be part of our union movement. Uh, and they don't want to be part. They of don't want to be part of it. Large. And I think we should just honor, honor that. Wishes. <laughs> um, now, I think there's degrees of difference when you start talking about like security guards and things like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of police departments proper, um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious which side they are on and they are not in my view, in my analysis, traditional workers. Yes, they may come, I get the blue collar 
you know, stereotypes around police officers. And yes, mm-hmm. they do sell their labor, their time and labor in exchange for a salary. Uh, but they're in a different category, in my opinion. Uh, and so I think, you know, the labor movement, we, we need to, to be honest about that and, and uh, you know, be real about yeah. that situation and not welcome <clears throat> police into our movement and instead uh, treat the police like the the threat that they have mm-hmm. always been to our movement and, and respond that way and and do our best to have, uh, you know, a more just criminal system in this country, uh, yeah. one that is less punitive and one that is not relying on mass incarceration and uh, prejudiced administration and you know, yeah. that, I think that's that's what we should do. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the big story of last week, uh, which is the Teamsters voted to strike uh, by 97 percent nationally. 97 wow. percent of the folks who voted voted to authorize a strike. Uh, this is really huge news. And this is where I want to solicit phone calls from Teamsters. I saw Will in the chat. I know that Jose uh, typically listens and uh, I know that we do have a Teamster for UPS, at least one that I know of here in Huntsville that listens pretty regularly. Not going to be able to take calls during the main show, but uh, at 11 o'clock, which is only now 25 minutes away, we will be able to take calls. And so, you know, uh, get ready for that if you can, if you have time and if you'd be interested. Would love to hear from some UPSers during this show. Um, so the phone number so that you can go ahead and have it, is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Yeah, just a reminder, we can't take calls during the main show this morning because of the issues with the FM feed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, I know we we did just have a caller. I just saw uh, okay. get off the get off the air. Um, so I apologize, caller to to whoever that was. Uh, yeah. But call back. And, yeah, you can call back, call back uh, after eleven, um, and we'll get you on the air. But yeah, sorry about that. You, you wouldn't have been able to uh, be be heard on the FM radio, so it would have just been dead air. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW five five eight. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior'd Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior'd Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior'd Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior'd Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior'd Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. 
That's www.uawregion, the number eight, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. voted to strike by 97% nationally. Some locals had an even higher strike percentage. Uh, the leadership of the union has been campaigning for a strike authorization vote. Sean O'Brien urged people to vote to, to authorize them to strike. And so, the, and, and just so people understand, a strike authorization vote is not necessarily a vote to strike. It is a vote to authorize the bargaining team to call a strike. It's basically giving that power to the bargaining team. Um, and, and so, but, uh, uh, but that means that, that the membership has given them the authority to call a strike and the leadership of the union has made it very clear that come July 31st, which is the expiration of the contract, there will be no extension. And if they don't have a contract in place, uh, that they will be striking on August the 1st. So... They, they've been very clear about that, although I, I will just say, um, you know, talking about the Teamsters and Sean O'Brien being very clear about stuff, they were also very clear about uh, refusing to begin national negotiations until regional negotiations had concluded, uh, which they did not do. Um, they, have begun re- uh, they have begun national contract negotiations, and to my understanding, they have still not wrapped up all the regional negotiations. I think that the reason that they said that they started national negotiations, even though they haven't finished regional negotiations, is that they're like substantially complete. They're like really basic that, you know, they're saying that they're really most of the way there, that they're just kind of ironing out some kinks. Um, But I was kind of disappointed to see that kind of backtracking. But, you know, I I don't know. uh, Hopefully he knows what he's doing, Sean O'Brien and the bargaining team there. And we'll see if he is as strong on the commitment to strike on August 1st. Uh, We'll see what happens there. But um, it would definitely be a very big deal if they if they do go on strike August 1st, which is only in six weeks now. Um, And one of the things that I want to do here in the next couple of weeks is get on the leadership of our local Teamsters Union to talk about what the effect would be locally here in Huntsville of a UPS strike. Uh, But, you know, just speaking nationally, it would mean 350,000 workers going on strike. That would be the biggest strike in the country since the middle of the last century. It would be the biggest strike against a single employer in the history of the country, which is really wild. Um, UPS transports 6% of GDP daily, um, which is, a you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money moving around, a lot of capital moving around. Um, that they're, that, that, you know, UPS's investors and their customers are really not going to be happy if that doesn't happen. And so, you know, I want to uh, address something that is, that, that a lot of people will say, and that's that, you know, these people, they make good money. They make good money. Why are they going to strike? And, you know, just to, just like, I'm not stupid and I don't want to be, um, I, I don't want to advocate for the Teamsters from a position of dishonesty or anything, or for the, um, advocate for the UPS employees from a, from a position of dishonesty or, or kind of, um, obfuscating the reality and the reality is that there are some people that work for UPS who make 
really good money. My uncle, who was the chief steward of the Teamsters in Huntsville uh, for UPS back in the 90s and early 2000s, he retired in like 2002 making $32 an hour as a mechanic, right? Uh, no college degree or anything like that. Um, and $32 an hour in 2002 is pretty different than $32 an hour today, right? Um, also, you know, the conditions at UPS have changed since 2000. They are a little bit worse, but there are still people who like, you know, if you're a full-time driver for UPS after four years, you're making like 40 bucks an hour, uh, in Huntsville. I can't remember, um, it's been a while since I've looked at the contract, but the contract is public information. If you want to see what UPS drivers in your area are making, the full-time ones, you can look it up. Um, it's all really, it's all really pretty, uh, pretty out in the open. And so that is, that's good, and I'm happy for them. And their insurance is really good. The retirement is really good. Um, and, and this is for the full-time, full-time drivers. And I'm going to talk about you know, how many people are not that, but you know, while we're just focusing on these full-time drivers, uh, you know, there, there is a, a, a degree to which they have it really good. But I would say to, even if it, even if all the employees at UPS were taken care of as well as the full-time drivers, I would still support them striking to get more. Why would I do that? Because look at the other side. In 2022, UPS made 13.9, 13 point something, Billion, billion dollars in profit, in profit. And just to remind people what profit is, <laughs> profit is revenue minus expenses. So, you know, they're getting some tens, dozens of billions of dollars in revenue, but they don't take all of that home, quote unquote, right? A lot of that goes to paying labor costs. A lot of, of it goes to capital improvements, to repairing trucks, to buying new trucks, to uh, uh, facility upkeep, building new warehouses. You know, all this stuff. There's a lot of money that goes into keeping up UPS, right? But, uh, uh, but profit is what you have left over after you've paid for everything. So $13.9 billion in profit. And uh, that is a lot of profit. That's a lot, uh, a lot to go around. And the executive pay has been increasing while in real dollars, the pay of the drivers, even the ones that are well off, is decreasing. And so I think I would support them going on strike to get more of the value that they create. And this is the thing, right? Why? Because... If that was the case, and all these UPSers were making $30, $40 an hour, the entire conversation would be about, oh, they're so greedy, these greedy union workers. And it's never, ever about, look at this CEO making millions, tens of millions of dollars. They're greedy. Why is it that they're not giving up some of the money that they have to keep the machinery of UPS running? Of, of whatever company running. It's always about the workers and never about the company. Because if the company gave the workers what they wanted, what they needed, gave up more of the value that the workers create, workers would never strike, right? So, uh, you know, I just from a fundamental principle of fairness, I think it is crazy to suggest that the UPSers should not strike and should not get more of the value that they create. Okay, but 
that is the position of full-time UPS drivers is not the position of many people working at UPS. In fact, most people at UPS now don't make that. They're not in the same position as the full-time drivers. This is from Jacobin and Labor Notes, who co-published an article about the 97% strike vote, vote authorization. 60% of the workforce now is part-time, making around the minimum wage in many regions of the country. 60% of the workforce is part-time. A lot of these people literally making near the minimum wage. Okay, So we're, in fact, not talking about a workforce full of people making $30, $40 an hour. In fact, we're talking about a workforce that is majority low to middle, you know, low to low middle wage workers. So don't allow people to confuse you when they throw out these stats about full-time drivers because that's not the reality that most UPS workers face. Drivers in many locations are forced to work six days a week. They're forced to work. It's not, man, it's not voluntary. They have to work up to six days a week and up to 14 hours a day. Managers follow drivers in personal vehicles and relentlessly harass workers to scare them into working faster. In 2018, former Teamsters president James Hoffa forced a contract on members despite a majority voting against the contract. So back in 2018, a majority of UPS Teamsters said, no, we don't like this contract. But because of some old provision in the Constitution of the Teamsters, you could not... Uh, the the executive board was authorized to impose a contract on a workforce if they did not vote more than 60% against it. So, you know, so they, they voted, uh, uh, they, the, the, the executive board imposed this contract on them. And that contract kept part-time wages low and established a new second-tier 22-4 driver position. That, and the 22-4 position is named that way because of the section in the contract that establishes that position. Um, continuing from the Jacobin article, which resulted, that resulted in new drivers making less money than existing drivers, despite doing the exact same work. It also gave these, this new second tier of drivers fewer overtime protections. So that is kind of the reality that a lot of UPS workers are, are facing right now. Uh, and so the uh, so what are they asking for in these contract negotiations? UPS Teamsters are demanding a significant pay increase for part-timers to $25 an hour. They are demanding an elimination of the second-tier wages for package car drivers. They're saying we should all be on the same wage scale. They are saying uh, that they're demanding an end to a forced sixth day of work. They are demanding raising pension payouts for 60,000 workers so that they're more equal across the country. They're demanding no driver-facing cameras. They want more holidays and an end to subcontracting and the use of gig workers. Because that's another issue is that some of the work now that UPS is doing is not even being done by UPS workers. It's being subcontracted out to people who, who pay less. And so the, the union at UPS wants to bring this labor in-house, which makes, which makes a lot of sense. And these are all, these are all eminently doable and reasonable demands from the, from the union, from these workers. 
Uh, so let's look at the other side. What does Wall Street want from this UPS contract? And it's important to understand what Wall Street wants because 60% of UPS is owned by uh, uh, private equity firms. And the majority of those stocks are owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. So really, you know, the most parasitic of vampiric organizations on the face of the planet. So what does Wall Street want out of the UPS contract? They want steady and massive profits, and they want more. From their perspective, UPS is one of the great success stories of the pandemic. From 2012 to 2019, UPS yearly profits ranged from 7 to $8 billion. In 2020, when the rest of the economy was suffering from the pandemic, UPS made over $8.7 billion in profits, more than they had in the last decade. In the years since, they have reported the largest profits in its history. $13.1 billion in 2021 and $13.9 billion in 2022. So Wall Street wants to further increase these profits in 2023 by asking for flexibility to schedule employees to work any of the seven days in a week. They want installation of driver-facing cameras to harass workers, and they want to continue and expand the use of subcontracting and gig workers. And so, I mean, just imagine, you're coming off, you have made more money than ever in the history of your organization, and you are not honoring and respecting the people who made that possible and saying, I am so glad, I am so thankful that our team has come together and done so well during this pandemic. While a lot of people were working from home, while a lot of people were laid off and getting unemployment during the first six months of the pandemic or so, UPS drivers were still out there working. I'm so thankful of the sacrifices that UPS workers have made for this company that I'm going to honor them and respect them and not ask, not only am I not going to ask for any concessions, I'm going to say, you deserve more. You deserve some of this extra value that you've created. That is the common sense if you were thinking with as a human instead of a lizard person, right? that's what you would be doing. But instead of doing that, after getting more profits than ever in the history of their company, UPS is saying, uh, we want actually more than that. We want more than that, and we want more than that consistently, and we want you to give up more of what you get from the value that you create. Not only are we not going to say, yes, you deserve more, and we have more to go around, so you're going to get more. They're saying, actually, wow, all these profits look really cool. I want to take more of it from you. Vampires, ghouls. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to, uh, you know, so, so that's kind of the situation here. That's kind of the situation here. Um, and, and so I want folks to understand that when the corporate media, when local news, when right-wing shock jocks come on the radio, come on the TV, write in opinion columns, and say, oh, these greedy union workers. Like, this is going to be up on YouTube later, okay? Go back and check this out on YouTube at the Valley Labor Report and just remind yourself of, like, what's actually going on. 
because uh, these people aren't going to want you to remember that. Really gross stuff. We've got Will in the chat from California. He's a UPS driver and a Teamster. He says, yeah, we make good money, but inflation has wiped that away. Also, we, 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 sorry, we risked our lives keeping society running during the pandemic. We deal with extreme heat during the summer months. This job isn't a joke, and we need to be compensated fairly for it. And that point about the extreme heat is really important <clears throat> because there were drivers showing that during, summer, during the summer last year that their uh, trucks were getting up to 150 degrees, 150 degrees inside of the um, inside of the the back where they keep their packages, where they have to come in and out of, you know, all day, right? Uh, gets up to 150 degrees in there, and they don't have air conditioning in these trucks. They don't have air conditioning in the cabs. They don't have air conditioning in the back. They don't have air conditioning anywhere in these trucks. And uh, so. Fortunately, one of the things that the UP, that, that UPS has agreed to is they have agreed now to air conditioning in these new contract negotiations. They've come to a tentative agreement to say, okay, yeah, sure, in 2023, we'll install air conditioning in our, in our trucks, which would cost, I think, the estimate from the union to do this across the organization was something like tens of millions of dollars, maybe 50, maybe $100 million. Not very much, right? Um, when you think about $13.9 billion of profit, you just take like a fraction of a percent of that and you can give air conditioning to all these people. But until 2023, until there was the strike threat, the, uh, the lizard people that are in charge of UPS said, eh, eh, not really. We're not really super interested in that. We'll just let you have heat strokes, actually. That's, that's what sounds good to me is my workers having heat strokes. So yeah, really exciting news on that front. Uh, Teamsters authorized a strike by 97%, and in six weeks, the union says, if we don't have a contract, we're going to go on strike. So be ready to support them. I'll be on the picket line here in Huntsville. <clears throat> let's, uh, um, Let's talk, oh, and, and Will from California also says, these people don't even respect their own management teams. They recently stripped their pensions. Wow. UBS has stripped the pensions from management. Crazy. I don't know why you would want to be management in that case. All right. So we've got a few minutes left on the radio here. Uh, let's, we got a, um, we got a notice last week about um, a, a pride event down in Gadsden. If you want to, if you're interested in going to that, uh, and that event is going to be Friday on June 23. It is a queer mixer and mingle night at Atomic Johnny's from six to eight thirty, and the address of of Atomic Johnny's is 510 Broad Street in Gadsden, Alabama. On Saturday, there is a Pride bar crawl at several locations in downtown Gadsden from six to nine p.m. That sounds like it would be a good time. Um, I was, I was listening to somebody last week on YouTube who is, uh, he's a man and he's bisexual and he was like, you know, look, here's a cheat code for straight guys. If you ever want to feel nice about yourself, like dress nice and go to a gay bar because straight, you know, we don't get a lot of compliments, right? Men, we don't get a lot of compliments. And so if you ever want to get a compliment, go to a gay bar. <clears throat> and so maybe I'll try that out next week. <laughs> uh, most of these bars in Gaston are on Broad Street or adjacent street. 
Those businesses include Blackstone Pizza, uh, S.A. Cantina, Atomic Johnny's, Jefferson's Bar, Old Havana Cigar Bar, and Big Chief. The after party is going to be at the Hookah Lounge uh, from 9 to 9 p.m. to 10 a.m. at 630 Broad Street in Gadsden. And then the final event of this Pride Weekend is going to be Sunday, June 25th. There's going to be a small Pride March down Broad Street in Gadsden, and we'll get started on the adjacent 1st Street at 1.15 p.m. There's going to be a 15-minute security meeting, and we will get started at 1.30. Afterwards, there will be informational meetings specifically for those who want to be more involved in the community with LGBT activities, also giving them information on who personally represents them at the local and state government level. Uh, it'll be at the Coffee Bar at 532 Broad Street, Gadsden, Alabama. So, um, so yeah, lots of cool stuff sounds like it's happening in Gadsden. Uh, if anybody has any questions or wants to volunteer, donate, or help plan future LGBTQ events in Etowah County, Alabama, they can contact me at uh, Robert underscore L Hunter at yahoo.com. Robert underscore L Hunter at yahoo.com. He has his phone number here, but I'm not going to give it out on the radio. Right. Yeah. And thanks, Robert, for sending that in. And just want to encourage folks if there are ever community events or, you know, your organization has something going on, Mm -hmm. always feel free to hit us up and let us know. It's something we can plug at the end of the show. We try to. You try, we try to keep folks informed on what's going on, uh, but obviously there's a lot that we miss. And, um, you know, again, if you want to reach out, let us know what's going on in the community. Let us know what your organizations are up to, and we can plug that. Yeah. Um, there is uh, the Emergency Workplace Organizers Committee, committee and, and we'll go ahead and get into the plugs. Uh, but so um, any Teamster listening – this is a, if you're listening on the radio here in Huntsville, I would love to hear from some Teamsters in Huntsville during overtime. So if you're listening to us on the radio, please give us a call. We're going to be continuing to do the show for another hour and a half or so uh, just online. Uh, so please give us a call. I would love to hear from you and, and get your thoughts on what's happening. Um, and the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. And also, obviously, if you're a Teamster from across the country, Will, we'd love to hear from you. Jose, love to hear from you. Um, would love to get your thoughts on this. So 844-899-8857, and we'll talk to you all first thing in overtime. Uh, the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee is having a, an organizer training about how to organize a remote workplace. This is something that a lot of people are having to deal with now. Um, there has been really kind of a permanent transition in a lot of workplaces to hybrid work from home or totally work from home. And so that'll be a really good training. I think I'm planning on going to it because my workplace is, is mostly work from home now and we are transitioning into a new building so we'll be totally work from home for a little while so i'm going to be doing that go on their website um the emergency workplace organizing committee um and you can find out more information and register it should be a good time and you'll get to maybe hang out with me labor notes always has trainings labornotes.org check that out there's a uh there's a Pride event this afternoon that I'm going to go to in Huntsville, and I can't remember what it is, but you know, I, don't, I don't know. Google Pride event in Huntsville, <laughs> and you might be able to go to that. Uh, sorry that we weren't able to get at Shop Talk last week, but we will next week. There was, you know, uh, We talked about it at the, that at the top of the show. There were just some ke- scheduling conflicts, and we weren't able to make it. So apologies, but we will uh, this week. 
<clears throat> if you're not on our email list, go to tvlr.fm, sign up for that. And uh, we're about to head into overtime. We're going to be talking about project labor agreements, hopefully getting some calls from some Teamsters, um, talking about Cop City over in Georgia. Lots of good stuff. Stay tuned.